Welcome once again to Three Gens Theology. It is our desire to come alongside to be an encouragement in your walk of faith, uh, taking the uh, truths of Scripture and uh, delivering them to you in a in a logical, uh, organized way, so that not not so that you can just have more information, but so that it can impact your relationship with the Lord. We certainly want to be an encouragement that way. Well, it's good to be with you uh, today. Glad that you have joined us. And uh, I, we'll try to say this at the end, as we always do, but if you have a comment or question, uh, please use the, the um, uh, comment sections of whatever podcast um, uh, app you're using. Uh, and then also, of course, you can email us anytime at my email, pd at crossbridgeindy.com. And uh, we would love to hear from you and be a help in your walk of faith for sure. Well, it's good to be uh, talking again about the Spirit. I think overall evangelical churches have stepped away from the Spirit over the last uh, decades. Um, the charismatic movement has kind of taken hold of that, and we don't want to fight them. <laughs> and uh, I think sometimes we're concerned about knowing exactly what to say mm. about the Spirit. But uh, uh, one of the persons of the Godhead, so we don't want to step away from our understanding of who the Spirit is mm. and what He's doing. And so we're excited to talk about that uh, today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to be together. Uh, help us, Lord, to understand your word in a correct way and that we might share it. Help us to be an encouragement in the lives of those who take it, take this in. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. May you be honored as we talk now in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's ask a question. How has the presence of the Holy Spirit impacted the world since the day of Pentecost? That's a small question. Yeah, just a little question. <laughs> Perhaps the simplest answer is that he has empowered the preaching of the gospel and the incredible uh, growth and outreach of the church, the body of Jesus Christ, uh, since that time. His unique relationship with missions is something that we need to make note of and to recognize the fact that without that empowering work of the Holy Spirit, missions would not have the power that they need to accomplish God's purpose in reaching the world for Christ. The, that relationship is one thing that we're going to emphasize today. And then we're going to begin to talk about some things that relate to how the Holy Spirit relates to the world, that is, those who have not yet believed in Jesus Christ, uh, and those who are believers. What is the specific uh, work of the Spirit of God in our lives, which I know is of great interest to you, and it certainly will be a joy for us to talk about that. So, missions. Um, Obviously, as a missionary, I have a lot of interest in this subject and could get going for quite a while. But uh, let me just begin by saying that as we trace the development of the church, one of the things that we recognize continually throughout the growth of the church is the Holy Spirit's movement. Uh, if we go back to Acts chapter 7, or ch Acts chapter 1, verse 7, and we talk about the Holy Spirit's part in accomplishing what Jesus told the disciples to do. 
what it immediately brings to mind is the fact that if we are going to be witnesses for Jesus Christ, we need the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised to the disciples. They were to be the first, and following from them has been a long train of uh, those who have given out the gospel both in traveling around and in staying right where they are, uh, sharing their faith in Jesus Christ. Missions is not uh, a specific entity apart from the church. We've tried to emphasize that, haven't we, in, in the course of these, these many weeks that we've been together. The church is, in fact, well-blessed when its heart is missions, when our greatest desire is to reach out to our community, to our city, our state, our country, and the rest of the world. If that is our burden, if that is our desire, then God is going to bless the ministry of the local church in a, in a very real way. In my own life, and my life mirrors that of what the Holy Spirit has done throughout history, um, the clearest evidence to me that the Spirit of God was at work in my life was first coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior at age 20. The next clearest evidence of that work was that within the first month of my being a, a brand new believer in Japan, where I was stationed, I had an absolute firm conviction that God wanted me to be a missionary to the Japanese people. Now, that wasn't because a signboard dropped down from the heavens. There was nothing written in the sky. It's simply that God put a burden on my heart for the people who were all around me. I realized I was a brand new Christian in a country that was filled with people who don't know him, who, if they have any exposure to Christ at all, it's primarily from reading history and finding out how the calendar came to be and that sort of thing. They, did, they needed the Bible, they needed God, they needed Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so the Lord put that burden on my heart to be one of those who would reach out to those people. And he did the same thing at the very beginning of the church. In fact, I think one of the things, guys, that, that strikes me is that there's nothing as refreshing as a new believer because one of the things about a new believer is that they honestly and openly want to share their faith mm. with other people whom they've known and love, who they realize don't know the Lord the same way they do. And so missions really had its, its beginning on the day of Pentecost, but it, as I mentioned last time, it was blown into the known world at that time by those who had come to know Christ who were there on that day of Pentecost and then went back to their homes and shared their new faith in, in Jesus Christ. Uh, it was Theodore Euler who wrote, Jesus's great missionary commission, which remains the normative standard for the church after Easter for its involvement in the world, did not command the Twelve to use a particular missionary method, 
but instead assured them of the assistance of the Holy Spirit as the continuous presence of Jesus Christ himself. Let me let me ask you that you've so you've done ministry in America and you were a longtime missionary in Japan and you've had uh, stops other places mm-hmm. but you've also trained missionaries that have gone lots of different places right uh, so I think as related to the Holy Spirit I, I I think one of the issues one of the trouble spots of the American church is that we seek to do ministry in our own our own wisdom our own um, initiative our own marketing our own right and right. we we don't feel the need for the spirit as much to be involved um, I, I just wonder what I assume that those uh, the way ministry happens around the world, there are different issues related to uh, the the sense of the spirit in those churches. Mm. Um, in talking to one of one of our friends, um, there was just such a, a sense of of d- desperate dependence mm. on the spirit where they were. And it was that was a, a challenge to me. Um, it challenged me doctrinally to think. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I would go as far as that person. But uh, the de- the dependence on the Spirit to do the work was of great benefit. And so I just wondered, in first of all, in Japan, what that was like, and then secondly, as you've inter- uh, as you've um, had relationships with many missionaries from many lands, how that how that plays itself out. I hope you see what I'm asking about the dependency on the Spirit and how yes. that works. Yes, and, and that, I think, goes back to that issue of the power that the Spirit of, of God gives. Mm-hmm. The, the power and the wisdom that is necessary to be able to do the work of God wherever you are uh, really cries out for dependency on the Spirit of God to do it. Uh, we... We will talk again, as we have briefly in the past, about the difference between form and function when it comes to church planting. Um, we, we know that there are a number of forms a church can take. There are a number of forms a church building can take. There are a number of forms in which the, uh, the process of evangelism can take place. What we realize is that Scripture very clearly tells us we must never forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We must never forsake evangelism. We should do the work of of an evangelist, even if that isn't our spiritual gift. We, uh, We recognize the fact that baptism and the Lord's Supper are functions that the local church is to have uh, as part of its life wherever it's located, that those things don't change from culture to culture. Um, the things that do change are the building style, the, the uh, means by which we gather people, uh, the, the way in which the, the message is delivered, uh, the, the style of everything from clothing to the way in which we... Um, we go out and meet people on the street. 
and and share our testimony with them. Those things will vary from culture to culture. Sure. The, the, the basic message doesn't change, but because of these variables, let's put it that way, because of the variables, we are so desperately in need of the Holy Spirit to give us the wisdom and to give us the uh, the inroad that we need into the lives of the people we're ministering to. You can imagine uh, the the fear and trepidation I had the first time that I uh, tried to have a meeting where in a new neighborhood as a relatively new uh, missionary in Japan, we were gathering people from that area to try to have them gather into one place have a film, talk with them about the Lord. Um, there were a lot of people we met who uh, were very polite, very kind, and had no intention of coming. There were other doors that we went to and knocked on the doors, and they wouldn't open them. They saw this gaijin foreigner face out there and decided they weren't going <laughs> to let me in. But there were others who were curious and one of the things that I really believe the Holy Spirit is, is accurately and clearly and powerfully involved in is that process of what we might call pre-evangelism. The, the means by which an individual who otherwise would be put off, culturally speaking, by being invited to any kind of a Christian meeting or having a conversation with any kind of a Christian, their, their interest is, is there. It sort of percolates to the surface, and they listen, and they're, they're willing to let you talk with them about your faith and, and about their life in relation to Christ and all the rest of that. And I really believe that the Holy Spirit is involved in that process so that we see him really helping us to make those cultural leaps right. that we have to make. So in the different missionaries, are there is there the same kind of... Um, fallacy of I can do this on my own mm. <laughs> that we see here. I assume that happens more in some places than others. So um, I would think in missions breaking through that cultural barrier, there would be the the evident need of the Spirit to do those things, and it would, might not happen as often. So I, right. I, want, I think... Um, uh, how have you seen that the actual missionaries themselves? How dependent are they on the Spirit? I'm not. I'm not asking you to judge every every missionary. I'm just trying to ask for the differences in different places, different sure. different cultures. Sure. How how that impacts our understanding of our need. We we all have the same need because the Spirit is the one who convicts and regenerates and right. Right. But the I think we err in not not sensing that need enough. I, I, I think a, a missionary would be more open, more tender to that need, but maybe not. So that's, I'm, I'm ignorant of that of that answer. Maybe the, I think a good example of that, and one that I like to use when I was training missionaries, is the the Spanish issue. Everybody 
thought that going to a field where you would speak Spanish would be the place to go uh, because obviously Spanish is an easy language to learn. And so one thing that I would try to do with the, uh, the students who had that idea was to remind them that if they were to speak Spanish as the Spanish speak Spanish, Spanish would not be easy. <laughs> it only seems easy because it's easy in similarity to and in comparison with English. Um, but in reality, it's, it's quite difficult to become an excellent speaker of Spanish. And in the same way, I would remind them that even though it might seem that going to a Spanish-speaking country would be an easy mission field where you wouldn't have to, you know, put that much language -wise, into right. it. Language-wise, it would be a, a culture that you could pick up fairly quickly. That's not necessarily true either because in some of those cultures, there are elements that have been there for literally thousands of years uh, as well as the Catholic element, as well as the, the people's experience related to missions and missionaries. All of those things are not easy to overcome. You're not just going to waltz in and say, well, I know a little Spanish. Got evangelism made here. The truth of the matter is that you're going to find yourself either on your knees or constantly frustrated because you really can't do what it is you're there to do. And so I, I guess the, the answer is yes, Dan, there are, I think there are situations where we as believers have a tendency to think, I can do this. Mm -hmm. You know, this is, this is a piece of cake. I'm a Christian, got a great God, I can just do this. But when it's I, I, and me, me, and my, my strength and power all the way through, an awful lot of mistakes are made. And often, sadly, and I say this with, uh, with almost a tear in my heart, sadly, those missionaries will end up coming back to the States defeated because they weren't depending upon the Spirit. They were depending upon their own native ability to do whatever it is that was necessary to, to fit in, to learn the language, to, right. to start churches. My level of uh, language uh, learning that would be fitting is I could go to England, I could go to South Africa, and I can go to Australia. <laughs> and I would still need to learn those cultures, <laughs> That's right? right? Even if That's I would right. still need to learn those cultures uh, yes. and, and still depend on the Spirit. I mean, yes. that's, I think that's where we miss, uh, miss that sometimes is we think if we do the right, the right work, it will reach people. Yes. Uh, and yes, we should do the very best we can to reach out in a variety of ways. Uh, but we still, we have to be dependent on the spirit, uh, to accomplish, to accomplish Absolutely. those things. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Dad, you forgot to mention your next door neighbor. My next door neighbor. That's right. That's who I can reach. Um, so as we so we've we've kind of danced around this a little bit, but as as you would prepare missionaries to go out, right? Obviously, culturally, some cultures are are very big on spirit involvement, not mm -hmm. necessarily Holy Spirit involvement, just culturally uh, spiritual stuff. Yeah. Um, how would 
how would you kind of prepare people for that? Would if the, if you were going somewhere, uh, if you were going somewhere where the spirit isn't talked about much, would you encourage them to talk about it more? Or and if where it's going somewhere where there's a lot of spiritual activity, uh, would you encourage them to talk about less or vice versa? Or h- how would you kind of prepare someone for those cultures where uh, just honestly a little different from here? Yeah. Uh- there would be three different levels of involvement in that problem of concept of spiritism or the presence or power of a spirit um, that I think we would need to think of, Sai. One of them would be a culture in which the, the basic animistic religion of the people has revolved around the activity of spirits, whether they're ancestral spirits, whether they're spirits that uh, are demonic spirits, whatever sort of, of concept they would have. In that context, it, was, it would always be necessary for the missionary to be very careful to differentiate the teaching of the Bible on angels, demons, and particularly the Holy Spirit, uh, from those spirit concepts that are in that culture. In, in many uh, Western cultures, this whole idea that we talked about, about spiritualism and spirituality and all the rest of those things are there. And in those situations, obviously, one of the things that we have to do is to make it clear that though there are uh, aspects of life that some people seem to be more attuned to, more spiritually aware of, if you will, uh, ways in which people want to try to influence people uh, through their own spiritual power, that all of that has no relation to what the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit and that we have to make it clear that that is not the power behind what we're talking about. And then the third side would be a situation that I think I've mentioned once before, but uh, it's worth mentioning again. We had a a missionary friend who was Laotian, and in Laos he was constantly confronted with the idea that there's a, a, a great, powerful spirit uh, army, if you will, that these forces are so powerful that uh, they influence the lives of the people constantly. There was a, a fear of these spirits, and he would constantly bring before them the Holy Spirit and say, I want to present to you a power that is far greater than any of these spirits that you're afraid of. And I want you to know that you can have his power through faith in Jesus Christ. And so the, the, the various approaches that have to be taken in relation to spirits and spiritism uh, and animism are different, but ultimately the two things that we have to keep in balance are we need to be willing to present in the power of the Holy Spirit the work of the Holy Spirit, but remembering that the Holy Spirit 
is always deferring, if you will, mm -hmm. to the Lord yeah, Jesus Christ. What you're talking about in saying you, we have this power that is greater than the, than the power you're afraid of is exactly right. But then you see how that can work into a problem where people seek the power <laughs> uh, as, a, as a magic Yes, you know, and yes. so there's that would fall back to the animism and those things. But mm -hmm. uh, so you have to be so careful about the teaching of that. Um, he, greater is He that's in you than He that's in the world, right? I mean, it's He is stronger and more powerful uh, to a great degree, uh, but not not the. Uh, uh, we have the Raiders of the Lost Ark. We have the Ark. We're going to win. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, right. I'm great. I'm great because I have the Ark. That's. I guess that's the problem. Is when I when I'm great because I have the special power. You know, um, so it is a, a weird uh, threading of where the truth is in relation to the culture. Right. You know. Right. Yeah. Right. And and I think too. You know, we have talked as we've we've been moving our way through theology. We have talked about the fact that God is spirit, that he exists as spirit. He is a spirit being. But there is a difference between the creator spirit and created spirits. Um, and that is a distinction that we always have to keep in the top of our minds. Mm -hmm. That God the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son... Though their, their work and their powerful influence on everything that takes place, it, from the preaching of the gospel to the establishment of the church to the growth of the church to the work of God worldwide, that work is being accomplished by the creator, the creative spirit of God. Mm. It's not a force. It's not... Uh, there, there has been, uh, over the, the past oh, I don't know, 50, 60 years, there's been teaching that there are really two levels of spirit power. That the one level of spirit power, which is up here, is one that we need to access. And that goes into what we've been doing on Sunday morning as we have talked about the whole concept. Yeah, I was just going to ask that about, about wrong teaching that's come across submissions, that ones yes. who had no biblical... Uh, understanding and then then brought in either Pentecostal teaching or or ceremonial Christianity mm -hmm. and not not a personal relationship either either side of that then you then as a missionary you have to to correct yes that that and I, you could you could see in a in a um, a more of a spiritism culture where Pentecostal teaching would be uh, more readily accepted. Mm -hmm. Um, but then it has to be corrected, and that's that's the 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 danger and the the problem right, right there right. is that it's so easy for an animistic culture to hear about spirits from the Bible, hear about uh, dangerous demonic spirits, hear right. about angels, hear about the Holy Spirit, and what they do then is mentally they can plug those concepts in to the places where they already had their animistic spirits. And so now you may have biblical names, but the same concept is floating around in society 
that they had before. It's just that they're calling them different things. Mm -hmm. So the correction is very important. Yeah. Making sure that the understanding is biblical, not just a, uh, a changing of the names of spirit beings that had already been either because then you bring all the baggage. Then you bring all the feared. all the baggage of that with it, the right. incorrect baggage with it. Yes. Right, yeah. 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 So I do think uh, you know it's funny both ways. Um, a pastor or a missionary, uh, it is we are called to do that, um, but we're not professionals, and we're the only ones we can do it. <laughs> that can mm -hmm. do it. You know, um, and anyone who is a believer has the Spirit. That's right. And can do the work of evangelism, the work of teaching, yes, uh, the work of, of mentoring uh, that is beyond them. And it's the same for all of us who are prof professional at it. It's beyond us. It is. And we need to keep that, that uh, uh, certainly that thought in our minds because Absolutely. there's a, a need for dependency um, both in Jerusalem and in... The uttermost part of the world. Yes. Right. In our Absolutely. in our in our local area, uh, where we think we understand the culture and we know how to reach people and we can we can do it. That's that's no good. Uh, but it's the same around the world where uh, there needs to be a dependency on the Spirit because He does the work. Right. And when that dependency is not there, when I don't sense the need for the power which the Spirit himself can give. When I don't sense the need for uh, the power of Christ to tabernacle on me, when I don't sense the need for a, uh, a continually um, established, I won't say established, that sounds weird, but a continually maintained relationship with the Father. When I cease to feel the need for those, the tendency is for my spiritual energy to be gone and for the, the, the work that is being done to be done in the power of the flesh, not in the power of the Spirit. Right. And that, as we go through the rest of our discussion of the Holy Spirit, that's going to be one thing that's going to become clear to us is that we desperately need to have the work, the constant work of the Spirit of God in such a way that we are not dulling it down, pouring water on it, uh, doing anything that we might do to prevent the powerful work of the Spirit of God to be actively working in me and in the ministries I'm involved in. When I don't sense that need, right. I'm, I'm headed for trouble. Okay, so one more, one more little poke at, at missions and spirit. Um, speaking directly to your, your time in Japan, that's where your greatest experience is. The, as we've talked about, when there's wrong teaching or, or trying to bring cultural thought into Christianity, um, um, the idea of Trinity and the Spirit in particular, the correction needed in a Japanese setting um, tell me a little bit about their religious background to in, in relation to that. Okay. Many gods, right? Uh, ancestors, mm -hmm. um, those kind of things. So t tell me a little bit about that, that correction of teaching there. 
the ancestors uh, as as part of the belief system of the Japanese people uh, has been a powerful force, yeah, both preventing people from being willing to come to Christ and also a constant um, irritant when it comes to the issue of helping believers to maintain their relationship with family, and yet at the same time... Is that time, why you bristled not, when I said ancestors? You, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the, there will be those who will say that ancestor worship is a, an improper term, that it's, it's a veneration of ancestors, respect for ancestors, but... If you follow the teaching through, if you follow the attitudes and the way that it's discussed, what you realize is that on a practical level, the person who has any real concern about their relationship with the ancestors is going to, is going to adjust their lifestyle to doing what is necessary to keep the ancestors pleased and to, uh, to do the sacrifices necessary to bring that about. When there, it there, is, there is a normal, healthy part of that. Mm-hmm. My parents have both passed, and I seek to honor them yes. by how I live, yes. right? And I, I don't see anything wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But what I want to honor in them is th- I know they had a relationship with Christ and have... <laughs> have a relationship with Christ and so I want to honor honor that godliness mm-hmm. uh, and so it isn't I'm not worshiping my parents but right I, but I do want to honor them and so yes. there there is some healthiness there that then is out of whack mm-hmm. in 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 what is practiced right right the 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 thing that we have to understand is that in Cultures that are what we would call collective or group cultures, there is such a strong relationship between living and deceased relatives that in many ways you can't, you can't put a divider between them. Here in the West, uh, in, in individualistic cultures particularly, The tendency that we have is that we have a special service, we bury the person, we mourn for them, we grieve, and then we move on. move on, right. And the weeds grow up in the graveyard, and that's pretty much the way it stays. Um, However, in these cultures, that's not the case. There is a hundred-day remembrance. There's a year remembrance. So their spirit is still present with them, and they have all these spirits. So how do you differentiate... How does that affect the teaching of the Holy Spirit and the Trinity, having three in one, but not three gods? You know right. I mean? so, but specifically the Holy Spirit, how, how does that affect that Well, that it's teaching? important to remember that we, if we oversimplify the belief systems, we end up leaving out aspects of it. And one aspect of the, the Japanese belief system is that they are also at least a large percentage Buddhists. And so there are practices and beliefs that are different there. The, the practices, the beliefs that are often more understandable to a priest than they would be to the average person. 
include the idea that uh, there's a special relationship between um, the believers and certain beings, the the beings, the bodhisattvas, the, the Buddha-like beings that come back and receive uh, individuals and help them toward nirvana. So you, you've got these two schools of thought within the Japanese mind mixed together then with a whole lot of just plain old materialistic uh, life. And these other areas become more important when a person dies because at that point everyone reverts back to their beliefs concerning the, uh, the ancestors and uh, the, the proper ceremonies to be taken. So how does all this relate to the Trinity? Well, in the teaching of the Trinity, primarily when we begin in preaching the gospel in Japan and presenting that truth, we present it in a way that they are introduced to the existence of God. They know that there is a God who is above all other beings. Everything else is created, either literally created by God or created in the mind of humans. Um, those idols, those gods, don't have an existence that is recognized by God, and they should not be recognized by us. So, of course, this immediately brings a, uh, a heavy load upon the individual listening because now they have to sort out, is it appropriate for me to continue to follow these other teachings that I've had mm -hmm. and yet at the same time believe in this God? And then we're presenting the Son of God, Jesus Christ, to them. And so all of a sudden, they are now brought to the place where replacing their previous thoughts concerning what a god what a kami is now they have a god who is the creator god who because of his love for fallen mankind sent his son into the world to die for us and he could only do that if he were god and man so now we have two persons of the godhead represented in what they're hearing and then we begin to explain that the Holy Spirit is described as being actively involved in the Old and New Testaments, and that the Spirit is seen as being God as well. And this goes back to what we discussed way back when we were talking about the evidences for the Trinity, that the Scriptures teach that there is the Father, who is God, that the Son is described as God, and the Holy Spirit is described as God. And thus there has to be a way in which we can explain this, and the simplest explanation is that God is one in a different way than he is three. And so all of this gradually begins to build in the lives, really more in believers than right. unbelievers, because unbelievers are still wrestling with the concept of sin and their reckoning their their need for a savior and all of the rest of that that pretty much everybody wrestles with mm -hmm. but they do in their own mind because of the own worldview right. that they would have so as we are helping the believers to grow in their faith they are coming more and more to recognize the concept of the trinity yeah
Okay. Well, we have uh, talked through uh, the Holy Spirit in relation to missions, um, some, and uh, the, the idea is that, as Acts 1 would say, he's not just needed for our work uh, around the world, but he's also needed for us. Yes. Right? All of us need to be dependent on that. I think it's probably better seen uh, when you go to a different culture and you realize, man, I need the Spirit. But, I can't do this. <laughs> uh, but it, it would be the same in uh, in our backyard, right? right? In our backyard. So it's been good being with you today and good talking through the Spirit's work in missions. Um, we will get into more, actually some more of the particular work of that because... What the Spirit does in our world is true in missions mm-hmm. and uh, right. in our in our churches as well. So uh, it's been good to be with you today, and uh, hope you enjoyed some of the some of the picking of the missionary's brain today. Uh, some of the history and experience that that uh, Jim has had uh, over these over these oh so many 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 years as the older gen, older gen in our three gens. Uh, but it's good to I think that was one too many. Yeah. <laughs> but it's good to, to uh, hear hear about these things and uh, see that experience uh, shared with us in relation to the Spirit, how good it is. Well, join with us again next time as we continue in our talk of pneumatology. And I uh, hope that you can uh, not just hear these things, but that like even this talk would help you to see the dependency you need on, on walking in the Spirit because it's His power and His uh, illumination, and we'll get into a lot of those things that gives us the strength we need for our daily living, for sure. Thank you for joining with us today, and um, we'll see you again next time as we talk about pneumatology.